Our text for today comes from Romans 8, 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. I wasn't in here. Did Ashley say what she told me earlier? Oh, good. So I just, uh, big things happening at Grace Community Church. Today, we have more people in our service than Prairie Lakes, Candeo, and Orchard Hill combined. God's on the move. Or you have a stubborn pastor. It's one or the other of those things. All right. Well, it's good to have everybody here this morning. Uh, are any of you history buffs? You like to read history? You can just raise your hand. That works. You like to, you, yeah, I know back there running the computer. Uh, you're the type of person who reads those gigantic biographies that are on the end caps at Barnes and Noble about like Galileo or Abraham Lincoln or whoever. Uh, those things that start at 7,000 pages long. It takes you, if you're a history buff, you probably read it in one sitting, but it would take me like three weeks. You're, or you're the type of person who really likes Ken Burns documentaries. Is anybody a Ken Burns documentary person? Uh, I know I am. Uh, your friends might be like really looking forward to the next season of Stranger Things or like Game of Thrones or something, but you're really looking forward to the five-part series on the Roosevelts that's going to come out on Netflix. That's, that's a history enthusiast. Personally, I love history. It's something I've always really enjoyed. Uh, I think part of that is the fact that I'm a pastor and learning about the history of the church and the history of um, the ancient world is something that kind of is par for the course for us. But the other thing is that I have a little learning disability, and while uh, reading was difficult for me growing up, it seems like stories from history would just kind of stick in my brain. I was one of those person, people that really liked learning about all of Henry VIII's wives. They were, all named, they were all named Mary, if you would need to know. Uh, anyways, the reason I enjoy studying history and the reason I think a lot of people who study history enjoy studying history is because learning about history gives us a context, doesn't it? It, it tells us something about the narrative that we live in. It gives us a better sense of who we are and the world that we occupy, doesn't it? You see this really clearly in American history. This is why you were all taught American history growing up in class, growing up in school. You could probably name for me the, the benchmarks of American history right now, couldn't you? There's the Boston Tea Party and Paul Revere's riot and George Washington's crossing of the Potomac, the Declaration of the Independence, right? We know these stories. They kind of frame what it means to be an American. We understand them and we understand who we are as a nation by virtue of understanding our history. You know, uh, kids in school tend to roll their eyes when they begin to study history, don't they? Like, what do all these dead people have to do with me, right? These dead people don't really mean much at all, but it turns out to be very important for to help us understand who we are. But it's not just the history of the nation we live in or the history of our city or even the history of our, of our church that forms our identity. It also turns out to be the history of uh, our families as well. Our own histories form a kind of scaffolding that supports or undergirds the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. We are 
uh, our histories become the kind of structure around, around which we build our lives. It's these ideas, these experiences of the past, of both our, the ones we can remember and the experiences and past of our family that kind of forms and structures us. It's, it's who we are. It gives us meaning and purpose. It lends our lives coherence even. And this is true of groups, and it's also true of individuals. I ran across an article that last week when I was preparing for this message, uh, written in the New York Times in 2013. The, the, the article was called, the, the Stories That Bind Us. And in this piece, the author tells about two psychologists who in the mid-90s hypothesized that children knew, who knew more about their family's history were, were more emotionally and psychologically healthy. And so they put together this little measure that had 20 questions in it. Some of the questions were things like, do you know where your grandparents grew up? Do you know where your parents met? And questions like, do you, uh, do you know about an illness or a terrible tragedy that happened in your family? And then they put those same kids, after they answered those questions, through a battery of psychological assessments, and they discovered that, quote, the more children knew about their family's history, the stronger their sense of control over their lives, the higher their self-esteem, and the more successful that they believed their families functioned. The do-you-know scale, which is what they called it, turned out to be the best single predictor of a child's emotional health and happiness. Crazy. Shortly after these psychologists uh, ran this test, 9-11 happened, and they saw this as an opportunity. So they went back, and they uh, tested those same kids and discovered that, yet again, the ones who had the deepest understanding of their story, of their families, proved to be the most emotionally resilient, had a better ability to uh, moderate the effects of stress in their lives, and just learned how to function better, frankly. But really, these psychologists unearthed something that we made kind of practical in a scientific way, something that we humans have known intrinsically for thousands of, thousands of years, really, that our histories matter, that our histories matter, that our past experiences, the emotional environments and histories associated with our families of origin truly affect who we are and how emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually healthy we are often in ways that, are not, that we're not even consciously aware of. And interestingly enough, it is not just modern psychology that helps us to see this. Like I said, the scriptures also talk about the important role that history and family play in our lives. A great example of this can be found in Exodus 20. If you were with us uh, in, the, in the fall, you, we were running through a series on the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 20, God first gives the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And in the second commandment, God says to the people of Israel, you shall not make idols and worship those idols. This is the second commandment that God gives to Israel. But he also tags a little postscript on the end of the second commandment. And this is what he says. This is the postscript on the end of the second commandment in Exodus 20. He says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punish, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. Now, it's easy to read this passage and say, whoa, 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 Nick, like, what is God doing here? He's cursing someone based on something that their parents did? This doesn't make any sense. It's not fair, right? 
And in our individualistic culture, this feels like an injustice, that God would hold something that a generation or two before me did, that he would hold it against me. I shouldn't be culpable for the sins that I didn't commit, right? We understand this. So what's going on here? What's going on here exactly? Well, what I think is going on is that uh, in the Bible, very often when we read about cursing and blessing, which is all over the both Old and New Testament, you read it all the time, and these curses and these blessings are, are in some unique way passed from generation to generation, these curses and these blessings are a kind of pronouncement. They're a kind of pronouncement. They're a way of making explicit in the text a truth or a reality of something that will continue into the future. It's like making, like I said, it's like making something that is implicit explicit. It's about stating what is true. You see an example of this when uh, Adam in, in the in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve are, are in the garden and they fall, and God, excuse me, pronounces a series of curses over Adam and Eve, that the land will be difficult to work, and that there will be enmity placed between the man between Adam and Eve, and there'll be all these difficulties that occur. And many Old Testament scholars say what God is doing there is not saying, because of your sin, I'm going to punish you in this way, but rather making a kind of statement about the way things, the, the new order of things, that because of the fall, because of brokenness, because of sin, now this is the state of things. This is what you're going to have to deal with. And I think we can read this passage in a similar way. When we read it in that way, what we come to kind of understand is that we all bear the practical inheritance of our family of origin, the habits, the emotional patterns, and the genetic predispositions of our families. It is simp- uh, it, we take it as kind of common that it is simply a byproduct of the fall that if one of my family members has a predisposition to having a, um, let's say, a heart that doesn't always work well, that that is something that might be passed on to me, and we kind of, we understand that, and this is why when you have a physical, they ask you, is there any history in your family of heart attacks or something like that? We take it as just something that's normal, something we understand, something, this hereditary pattern that's passed down to us. But the scriptures talk about a kind of spiritual inheritance that's passed on as well. Patterns of sin and of blessing, and of blessing that are passed down, that are passed down. Inherit, uh, an inheritance of brokenness from our families and the experiences we've had, but also of the gifts and of the blessings. And all of that, all that stuff is kind of thrown into a vat it's stirred around, you sprinkle in some of your own personal life experience, and then kind of poof, there you are, right? Poof, there you are. Is that how it works? I think so. Uh, So, what this means is, is that if we're going to be emotionally and spiritually healthy followers of Jesus, if we're actually going to do that, which is the point of the series that we're in right now, learning to be emotionally and spiritually healthy followers of Jesus, one of the most vital things we're going to have to do is is go back, is to look at our past experiences, those things that have happened to us, but also to prayerfully go back, investigate, and explore our families of origin, and specifically to invite the Holy Spirit to help us search out our, uh, our lives, our past. 
to help us identify is what blessings we've been, we've been given from our families, and we all have blessings, and also to experience those other patterns that we have to work through, unhealthy emotional patterns, relational dysfunction that we've all been dealt with, that, we've, that we all deal with. The author, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote uh, a, a number of books, we have uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality back at the coffee bar if you want to purchase it, uh, says this in a book, not that book, but a different book. He says this, in emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affect their present ability to love Christ and others. That in emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and to love others. And team, I, I just want to say, I think this is like one of the most vital things we can do. I really do. All of us are carrying around stuff from our past, from our families of origins, from negative or positive experience we, experiences we've had in our lives. Uh, some of us are carrying those around in ignorance, not knowing exactly what we carry, not having not interrogated our past in any significant way so that we can be aware of those things. Some of us are slightly more aware of them. But we all have to go through this process of going back in order to go forward. And it is scary and hard for some of us. It, is, it can be scary and it can be hard because nothing in our lives cuts closer to the core of our being than exploring our past because it's who we are. And so it's natural that if you discover a wound there that it can be particularly painful. But God doesn't want us to walk around carrying the brokenness of our past. He doesn't want us walking around uh, living an unexamined life. God wants you and me to be free. And, ex and exploring our past with the help of God's Spirit is one of, if not the most powerful, one of the, if not the most powerful ways to be free. In fact, for many of us, to move forward into the future well means that we must go back that we have to actually go back and partner with God to deal with some of those things, to address them in healthy and God-honoring ways. You know, uh, and for different people in the room, addressing our past is probably going to be diff difficult for different reasons. Now, the, the, I, th I really think there's kind of two people in the room, if, I, if you want me to be honest. And in the first group, in some ways, is even more difficult. And I put myself in this category. You hear me saying this, and you're like, my family's relatively healthy, right? We're okay. And maybe your parents are actually here today, and you're having to give this message in front of them. Uh, right? Uh, we didn't plan it that way. Uh, but uh, it, maybe your parents were followers of Jesus, and you grew up in the church, Right? And you have a, and you belong to a family that's relatively healthy. Uh, that presents its own difficulties, doesn't it? It presents its own difficulties, because people who have uh, healthier families are probably less inclined. They're less inclined to really see the things that are amiss in their families of origins, to see the things that have been passed down. If there is no, uh, if there's no clear or concise brokenness like a divorce or abandonment or a history of substance abuse, no one's in jail, these people are less inclined to look at their past because they don't see much obvious brokenness. 
and because they don't want to tear down a kind of idealized view they have of their family. This is what we get scared about, right? And so uh, with this group of people, and this, and like I said, I'm one of these people, it tends to take a little bit more time for people to come to a rel- uh, who come from a relatively stable upbringing to begin to identify some of the ways, some of the emotional patterns, some of the things that have, they've experienced that uh, don't belong in the family of God, that come from their actual families. Now, uh, I have found this is uh, also true specifically of younger people, and we have some of them into, into the room today, because you're just coming into really knowing yourself if you're a college student in this room. And beginning this work of interrogating your family of origin, interrogating, interrogating is the wrong word, looking, that sounds very hostile, Uh, looking into your past is something that is, you do as you begin to get older, as you begin this process of walking out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, it can be difficult, it can be difficult, but it's so, so important, and I would encourage you today to do that. So that's the first group, people who come from relatively relatively healthy backgrounds. The second group of people are, are people who come from a broken experience. You have felt the ripple effects of the brokenness of your family for the entirety of your life. You know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? We're busted up. And you're either so scared of digging it up again or so tired of dealing with the, the dysfunction of your family anyways that you're just like, I, it's too much. I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to dive into it. I don't want to do this. And to you, I just want to say, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, God wants to be your father. God wants to be your father. And he wants to w- walk you through this process. He really does. He, he wants to kind of take you by the hand and show you his love and walk you through the process of learning what, God, what he, God, is like and how you can step into emotional and spiritual health. He wants to be present for you as a father to help you heal, to lead and guide you into wholeness. You know, really coming to understand and to get a little revelation of God's love for us as a father, how he actually feels towards us, is, is an interesting process, I think, because it's this process of both breaking us apart. It, this is what it feels like very often, of being kind of rent apart and being mended back together all at the same time, because this is what God's love does. It kind of exposes the interior, our interior life, and that's painful, but at the same time, God's love kind of knits us together and makes us whole. And it's my prayer today, specifically, and next week as we continue to talk about this, that, uh, that you would come to know or catch a glimpse of God's heart in this way and the ways in which he wants to kind of knit you back together into the person he's created you to be so that you can step more fully into his kingdom family of love. This is what we want. So... That's what we're kind of going to do over the next two weeks, the rest of this message today and a little bit more next week. So how do we do this? How do we look into our past, kind of uh, break down our family of origin, really identify what we've been, what has been kind of passed down to us from our parents or from our grandparents, 
from our great-great-grandparents because this is a process that goes beyond just our immediate family. It goes beyond just our nuclear family of your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters. There are emotional and spiritual patterns that are outside of your nuclear family that affect you, right? Has anybody ever uh, seen a picture, like there's a picture in your grandparents' house of your great-grandpa when he was 12, and then you look at him and you're like, oh my goodness, that's me right? You just, oh, uh, it's really scary. It's, it, can, it kind of freaks us out. Like, oh, this has been going on. Like, whatever's in here has been going on for a while, right? It's a weird feeling, but it turns out to be true. So, so how do we go about addressing this? How do we go about in both a, um, a spiritually serious and practical way of addressing uh, our past, of looking into our past, and the first two things I have for you today are really just kind of practical tools. And the first is called a genogram. Do we have that? Has anybody ever heard of this word? You can raise your hand if you've heard of a genogram. Kind of, sort of. I first, I first did a genogram, which is a strange, which is just a big word for a family tree, basically. I first did a, a genogram 10 years ago in a spiritual formation course I took in Minnesota. Um, it's, like I said, it's basically a big family tree. And in the class I was taking, they made us put it on a poster board. And so I was like 25, but I felt like I was just doing a family tree in third grade. It was just marker, you know, on a big white poster board. I felt like I was in third grade again. Only this family tree, this genogram, helps us to map some of the deeper and practical spiritual aspects of our family. Uh, we have genograms available for you out in the lobby. We also have... We'll, we can put them in the weekly this week. I would encourage you to grab one of these. If you're part of one of our home groups, this is what we'll be doing over the next few weeks. We'll be going over our genograms. Excuse me. And so basically what a genogram is, is uh, this process by which we prayerfully fill out our family tree. And what I've found is that it really brings some stuff to the surface. And what might be readily apparent is how little you actually know about your family of origin, Right? And what, uh, and what you might need to do is a little bit of a detective work. You might need to call your grandma, and if, if, you, that's, if you're able to, and figure some stuff out. Does anybody have any family members who are big into genealogies? They track their family. Wow, lots of people. I think 23andMe or whatever that is has really made that a big deal. Um, my, my, my parents as well. But uh, my grandparent, my, my grandpa specifically. But uh, you might have to do a little work to fill out a genogram, because it does go past just your nuclear family, and it makes you dig a little bit into your past. Um, and that, just that process in and of itself is really important. You might have to call your mom or your dad or your grandparent and kind of fill in some of those blanks. So it is a process, but I think it's a very, very good one. And the genogram that we have out in the lobby for you will kind of walk you through this process. It's, it's a uh, pretty intuitive thing. Uh, but for me personally, this was a pretty significant, uh, it, was a, it was a significant spiritual experience because what it did was raise some things that were kind of, that I knew emotionally, that brought those things from my, kind of the back of my head, the emotional part of me, into the front of my awareness, into what I understood emotionally about where I came from, kind of beca became an intellectual, something that I understood in, a, in, an, in an intellectual way. And allowing those things to rise to the, for, to the forefront of my mind to actually see them on a piece of paper was really, really helpful. Here's an example for you. So uh, one of the implicit values that I carry kind of deep in my being is that I'm supposed to work hard. 
both of my grandparents, both of my grandfathers and my dad uh, are hard workers. I've watched it my whole life. I've seen them. My grandfather, uh, Alex, would be at the, he was a taper, he would be at the tape store at 7 a.m. I, I just, I saw in my life growing up men who worked really hard. It was just this common thing. And what that created in me was this sense of, I don't think I'm a hard enough worker. I don't think I work hard enough. And it, it created a kind of insecurity in my heart that I'm still dealing with today of, uh, of am I a hard worker? Does what I do matter? Am, am I as committed as these other people that I've seen in my life? And doing the, any, uh, doing the genogram really helped me like, surface some of that stuff and begin to process and deal with it. Because it had been, at times, a block for me. Because I, I would think, oh, I'm not as hard of a worker as these other people in my life. And if I wasn't, a hard, if I wasn't a, as hard of a worker than them, then I, I didn't measure up. Does this make sense? So being able to surface some of these things actually allowed me to begin to deal with them in uh, really healthy, mostly healthy ways. Uh, so, what I would encourage you to do is take this, take this genogram and fill it out. Students, I know you have, um, many of you are involved in, uh, in, in small groups through Chi Alpha. Uh, do your small groups for Chi Alpha. But what I would encourage you to do is find a same gendered friend and go through this and talk through it with them sometime this week or in the next couple weeks. Because I think it's a really helpful thing to do. I want to say, uh, if there's any of you who are in the process of like getting into a relationship, like you talked about this week at Brotherhood and Sisterhood, walking through this with somebody who you, with whom you're in a serious relationship is a really vital thing that you do, especially if like you're engaged or you're going to get married pretty soon or, you ha or you're newly married. Like This will help you, I assure you, so do it, okay? So it's really, really important. But uh, it's vital to explore those things that we struggle with. It's vital to explore them. And, do, and in doing the, the a genogram, what you will inevitably uncover is that the things that you are dealing with are not, com, are, not, uh, are, are not just common to you, that there is something there. People who struggle with, uh, with sexual issues like promiscuity or pornography, think, people who struggle with addiction issues, people who struggle with anger issues, people who struggle with insecurity, very often will see these things coming down through their family tree and can kind of track them. And very often getting to the root, to use the tree analogy, will help us to identify those things and be able to kind of, uh, to be able to kind of separate them out and begin to deal with them in really healthy ways. So, genogram, okay? All right, so that's the first thing. The second tool that I think is really helpful this morning kind of goes hand in hand with the genogram. It's kind of a, the second piece to the puzzle. I ran across this in a book I read uh, by an old, uh, if you're familiar with YWAM, it's a missions organization, an old YWAM guy named Floyd McClung. He wrote a book called The Father Heart of God. And in that book, he has, he lays out a little bit of a, a couple of steps for us to deal with, the, uh, with our emotional scars in our past. And I think we have it up on the screen. There's like six of them. There they are. So he says this is, is the process of how we begin to deal with or move through dealing with hurts, pains, uh, emotional, spiritual hang-ups. He says, first, we identify and acknowledge our need for healing, right? We identify the fact that we're broken in some area. And we, very often the genogram is very helpful in the identification of the area in which we're in need for healing. 
Second, we confess our negative emotions and experiences, we, and uh, both to God and to another person. This is a community. This is something we need to do in community with safe people with whom we trust. Third, we receive forgiveness from God because until we understand that God, we are fully loved and we are fully forgiven, dealing with these things that hurt us will just kind of keep going on in our hearts. Does this make sense? Fourth, we forgive those who have hurt us. There is no forgiveness of ourselves until we forgive others. I'm going to say that one more time. That we cannot, we cannot deal with the issues in our lives until we forgive other people, specifically the people who have wounded us. Number four. Number five, receive the Father's love. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, and I already did a little bit. And six, live intentionally in reconciling Christian community. And then, and then I love this, repeat steps one through six for the rest of your life, right? You just have to do it all the time because there are always surfacing things that uh, are difficult. Uh, I just, uh, Floyd has this really beautiful little, little quote about uh, point number six, this living intentionally in reconciling Christian community. And we're going to talk about this again more next week, the role that community plays in helping us heal but uh, he says this, as we love and accept and forgive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, God's love flows through us to heal one another. Through our brothers and sisters in God's family, God provides the kind of love and acceptance that frees us from our fears and allows us to experience greater wholeness as people. There is no such thing as going on this journey alone. The body of Christ is a necessary component. Christian relationships are a necessary component in learning what it means to be healed. It's very, very important. And so for the rest of our time this morning, those are just kind of two tools. But for the rest of our time this morning, what I really want to focus in on is our teaching text for today. And it happens to be the third point in our, in our message today. I have three points. And the third point is simply to receive, I think we have the Father's love, receive the Father's love. So in our teaching text for today, in the book of Romans, Paul says, and I'm just going to read it again, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that our, with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, there's a ton to unpack here. This is one of the more densely uh, theological, not only books, but also verses in the entirety of the New Testament. So there's a lot here. But I just want to say to you that this, this passage makes explicit to us that to be a follower of Jesus, is to have this realization in the depth of our being that God is our Father, that He's our Father, and that He longs to Father us. Paul says in verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies in our spirit that we are God's children. We are His children. Now, I was teaching on this. I couldn't have been 19 or 20. I think I was home for the summer uh, from college, and I was teaching in our youth group, and I, and I picked this topic, the Father Heart of God, and I was teaching on it. 
and I was sure it was a horrible message. It was, it was a hot mess. Um, but uh, I was teaching on it, and afterwards, a, a young girl who I knew pretty well, she was only, she's only three or four years younger than us, came up to me just weeping and weeping and weeping, and she said, Nick, um, I didn't have a dad. How am I supposed to relate to God as my father? I didn't have a dad. And in the moment, this was probably like one of the first 10 messages I'd ever preached in my life. And I thought, this isn't what preaching is supposed to do. I'm not supposed to make people cry and break them apart. Like, I've failed as a pastor, right? And uh, so that was the fear in my head. So I talked with her for a little while, and we kind of processed a little bit of what we had talked about, and we just kind of talked. And later, I was with another friend who was uh, older than me and a pastor, and I told him the story, like, yeah, I, I preached about the father heart of God, and this girl who didn't have a dad came up, and she just wrecked, she was just wrecked, and I felt bad that I had done that to her. I felt culpable for making her feel bad. And uh, my friend said to me, Nick, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> she was learning to learning to see God as her father. God, via his spirit, was teaching her who he was. And you were just kind of a tool in that process. And I thought to myself, oh, geez, that's what was happening. God wants to father you. God wants to father each of you. Regardless of uh, your situation, regardless of whether you come from a family that is uh, that you, the, you view as stable, or re regardless of whether you come from a family that you view as being irrever, uh, really broken, right? Regardless of that situation, God wants to father you. He wants to father you. He wants to show you his love, and he wants to lead you via that love into wholeness and health. Joss, if you just come up and play the guitar for a minute, that'd be great. God wants to lead you into wholeness and health. He wants to confirm his heart to you. And the truth of the matter is in this process of looking into our past, in this, in this process of is identifying uh, things in our families of origins that we need to work through, the, the key component is the Father's love. Because if you don't have kind of deep, if you don't have roots that are kind of going deep down into the Father's love, if you don't have a vision of God in your mind that says, regardless of what I see on this genogram, regardless of what I feel in my past, regardless of what, what brokenness I, I'm carrying in my life, that there is this deep reservoir of God's love that can kind of carry me through the process of dealing with this brokenness. The truth of the matter is if we don't have that, we can't do that process that it is actually, in a real and true sense, God's love, his father heart for us, that enables us to heal. Without it, we can't, I would argue. Not in any real sense. And so, uh, when I was preparing this message, what, what I really, really felt was just that God wants to be a father to us in this place. He wants to father you. He wants to love you, regardless of your age, regardless of it all. God is our heavenly father. You know, Jesus exemplified this. He was always referring to God as his father. And he was always engaging with God in this way that was, I would say, unique. Where he was vulnerable with God, 
where he received the Father's love, that he would, he would spend time with God in order to kind of recharge his batteries, in order to do the work of ministry. And when he was in that place, what he received was the Father's love. Do any of you remember um, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist? It's before Jesus has, has gone into his ministry, before he has gone uh, all around the Galilee healing people and proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's before Jesus really does anything. At this point, Jesus is just, he gathered some disciples at that point, but he is really just kind of a guy from the Galilee who used to be a carpenter. And he goes to John the Baptist and he says, baptize me. I need to be baptized. John says, I don't want to do that. Like, you're, you're the Messiah. Why don't you baptize me? And Jesus says, look, you got to do this. Or you're not going to have any part of, basically, this is not going to work. So John says, okay, I'll baptize you. And he's baptized, and as Jesus is brought up out of the water, it says the heavens were rent open, that it, uh, and that the Father's voice came down and said, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. I'm well pleased. And then, out of the reservoir of that love and the knowledge of the Father's love for him, for Jesus, for the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is launched out into his public ministry. Without the Father's love, we cannot go on this journey. We can't. And this morning, what I feel like we will will do with our last, what time is it? We don't have a clock. 11.05, perfect. For the next five minutes, I just want uh, us to take a second and allow the Father to minister to us this morning. Can we do that? It's winter. We don't, you don't want to be out in this, right? It's warm in here. It'll be good. So what I want to do is just take a moment and uh, allow the Father's love to minister to us. So here's the thing. If you're, if you're in this place and you're a Christian and you, uh, uh, God wants to minister to you. If you're in this place and you're still a little on the fence, like this God thing, I don't know. This is a great opportunity to say, God, do you love me? Is this the type of God you are? And I believe he'll reveal himself to you. I really do. So, uh, just for a couple of minutes, Jocelyn, if you'd just sing. And let's just allow the Spirit of God to minister to us. I believe he will, right where we are. And would you just pray this simple prayer? Father, show me your love. Father, show me your love. And he will. Uh, you can posture yourself however you want, whether you want to be seated or standing. It doesn't matter. But just, Father, show me your love. All right. All right.